Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Today's episode is the true story of a 17-year-old German girl who survives a two-mile freefall when the airplane she and her mother were traveling in was struck by lightning, losing first an engine and then a wing, and then, with nothing other than courage and ingenuity, survives 10 days wounded and alone in the Amazon rainforest in Peru before being brought back to civilization. 1001 Heroes is listened to in more than 200 countries, and you, our fans, are the reason. Thank you. Tell your iTunes pals we're at iTunes Podcast and your Facebook friends that were liked a lot at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. Many folks enjoy listening at our website at www.1001storiespodcast.com. It's just like old-time radio, but without the static. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. At noon on Christmas Eve, 1971, Lanza Flight 508, a Lockheed L-188A Electra turboprop, lifted off the runway at Jorge Chavez International Airport, at Pacolpa, Peru. Flight 508 was flying at about 21,000 feet when it encountered an area of thunderstorms and severe turbulence. There was evidence the crew decided to continue the flight despite the hazardous weather ahead, apparently due to pressures related to meeting the holiday schedule. On board were Julianne Kopke and her mother. Julianne was a high school senior studying in Lima, intending to become a zoologist like her father, Hans Wilhelm Kopke. Her mother, Maria Kopke, a leading Peruvian ornithologist, was traveling with Julianne from Lima back to their home in Panguana, a nature reserve they had founded a few years previously near Pacolpa, where the father was awaiting their return in time for Christmas. In an interview with the BBC, Julianne said, It was Christmas Eve, and everyone was eager to get home. We were angry because the plane was seven hours late. Suddenly, we entered into a very heavy, dark cloud. My mother was anxious, but I was okay. I liked flying. Ten minutes later, it was obvious that something was very wrong. There was very heavy turbulence, and the plane was jumping up and down. Parcels and luggage were falling from the locker. There were gifts, flowers, and Christmas cakes flying around the cabin. The clouds became darker and darker, and the flight became more turbulent. Then we were in the midst of pitch black clouds and a proper storm with thunder and lightning. It was pitch black all around us, and there was constant lightning. Then I saw a glistening light on the right wing. The motor had been hit by lightning. Julianne continued. When we saw lightning around the plane, I was scared. My mother and I held hands, but we were unable to speak. Other passengers began to cry and weep and scream. After about 10 minutes, I saw a very bright light on the outer engine on the left. My mother said very calmly, This is the end. It's all over. Those were the last words I ever heard from her. The plane jumped down and went into a nosedive. It was pitch black and the people were screaming. Then the deep roaring of the engines filled my head completely. The lightning strike had ignited the fuel tank in the right wing, which quickly led to structural failure of the aircraft and an extremely steep fall. Although it is not uncommon for engines to be hit by lightning, the Electra aircraft they were on wasn't built for flying in heavy turbulence due to its very rigid wings. Kopke states the wing definitely didn't explode. Rather, the plane was simply ripped apart in the air after the wing fell off. As the plane disintegrated, Kopke fell down into the Amazon rainforest two miles below. Kopke said of the crash, 
I heard the incredibly loud motor and people screaming, and then the plane fell extremely steeply. And then it was calm, incredibly calm, compared with the noise before that. I could only hear the wind in my ears. I was still attached to my seat. My mother and the man sitting by the aisle had both been propelled out of their seats. I was free-falling. That's what I registered for sure. I was in a tailspin. I saw the forest beneath me like green cauliflower, like broccoli, is how I described it later on. Then I lost consciousness and regained it way later, the next day. The reason for Kopke's surviving of her free fall is unknown. However, some have speculated that the row of seats she was strapped to played a crucial role by rotating like a helicopter, slowing her descent. The row may also have helped by cushioning her fall as it struck the dense forest on her way down. The cushion of her seat may have also played a small role. Over the next 19 hours, Kopke found herself falling in and out of consciousness. At some point, she managed to regain her consciousness, giving credit to the heavy rainfall. She was wearing only a sleeveless mini-dress and was missing one of her sandals as well as her glasses. Her injuries from the fall included a broken collarbone, a torn ACL, a strained vertebra in her neck, a partially fractured shin, several deep lacerations on her arms and legs, and one eye was swollen shut due to popped capillaries as a result of rapid decompression of the aircraft. I didn't wake up until 9 o'clock the next morning. I knew this because my watch was still working, so I must have been unconscious the whole afternoon and the night. When I came to, I was alone, just me and my row of seats. I had broken my collarbone and had some deep cuts on my legs, but my injuries weren't serious. I realized later that I had ruptured a ligament in my knee, but I could walk. Before the crash, I had spent a year and a half with my parents on their research station only 30 miles away. I learned a lot about life in the rainforest and that it wasn't too dangerous. It's not the green hell that the world always thinks. I could hear the planes overhead searching for the wreck, but it was a very dense forest and I could not see them. I was wearing a very short sleeveless mini dress and white sandals, she continues. I had lost one shoe, but I kept the other because I'm very short-sighted and had lost my glasses. So I used that shoe to test the ground ahead of me as I walked. Snakes are camouflaged there and they look like dry leaves. I was lucky I didn't meet them or maybe just that I didn't see them. Her ensuing struggle to survive in the jungle was as dangerous, if not more so, than the destruction of the aircraft and her free fall of approximately 10,000 feet. It took her half a day to regain her ability to stand without feeling dizzy. After regaining her ability to stand and then her ability to walk, despite her injuries, she spent her first day in the jungle searching for her mother, Maria Kopke. In her search, she found a bag of candy, which was her only food source during her entire ordeal. After searching for her mother for the entire day, she ultimately decided to abandon her search and find rescue. Her ordeal was far from over. Rescue planes and search crews were unable to locate the crash site, and Kopke was stranded in the jungle, alone. But she had spent years on the research station with her parents, and her father had taught her how to survive in the rainforest. She knew how to cope in that environment. He said, if you find a creek, follow it, because that will lead to a stream, and a stream will lead to a bigger river, and that's where you'll find help. 
The day after the crash, she found a creek and started to wade downstream, but it was tough going. The only food she had was some candy she had found at the crash site, and her wounds were quickly infested with parasites. I had a cut on my arm, and after a few days I could feel there was something in it. I took a look, and a fly had laid her eggs in the hole. It was full of maggots. I was afraid I would lose my arm. Later, after I was rescued, it was treated, and more than 50 maggots were found inside. I still wonder how so many maggots could have fitted into that little hole. It was no bigger than one euro coin. Kopke reported hearing king vultures around her, recognizing them from her previous encounters with them from living at her parents' research station only a year and a half before. She figured that there must be dead bodies around, and it wasn't until the next day that she discovered some. She came across wreckage containing three passengers still strapped to their seats who had landed head first into the ground. She said of the encounter, I found another row of seats with three dead women still strapped in. They had landed head first, and the impact must have been so hard that they were buried almost two feet into the ground. I was horrified. I didn't want to touch them, but I wanted to make sure that my mother wasn't one of them. So I took a stick and knocked a shoe off one of the bodies. The toenails had nail polish on them, and I knew it could not have been my mother because she never used nail polish. Julianne continued through the rainforest, wading through jungle streams infested with crocodiles, piranhas, and devil rays. Sometimes I would see a crocodile on the bank, and it would start into the water towards me. But I wasn't afraid. I knew crocodiles don't tend to attack humans. During the trip, Kopke could not sleep at night due to insect bites, which became infected. After nine days, several spent floating downstream. She found a boat moored near a shelter, where she found the boat's motor and fuel tank. She later recounted her necessary efforts that day. By the tenth day, I couldn't stand properly, and I drifted along the edge of a larger river I had found. I felt so lonely, like I was in a parallel universe far away from any human being. I thought I was hallucinating when I saw a really large boat. When I went to touch it and realized it was real, it was like an adrenaline shot. But then I saw there was a small path into the jungle where I found a hut with a palm leaf roof, an outboard motor, and a liter of gasoline. I had a wound on my upper right arm. It was infested with maggots about one centimeter long. I remembered our dog had the same infection, and my father had put kerosene in it. So I sucked the gasoline out and put it into the wound. The pain was intense as the maggots tried to get further into the wound. I pulled out about 30 maggots and was very proud of myself. I decided to spend the night there. I remained there. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to take the boat because I didn't want to steal it. Hours later, 10 days after the crash, the Peruvian lumbermen who used the shelter arrived. At first they were frightened by her, thinking she was a water spirit, until it dawned on them that she might be a survivor of the plane crash they had heard about. They tended to her injuries and bug infestations. The next morning they took her via a seven-hour canoe ride downriver to a lumber station in the Tornavista district. With the help of a local pilot, she had to get on a plane again. She was airlifted to a hospital in Pacopa, run by missionaries. Having to get on a plane so soon after her ordeal was terrifying. The flight took about 15 minutes. Within a day after arriving at the hospital, Kopke was reunited with her father. After being reunited with her father, Kopke helped search parties locate the crash site and the victims of the crash. On January 12th, the search parties discovered Maria Kopke's body. Apparently, her mother had survived the fall as well. 
However, she was prevented from moving as a result of her intense injuries. Maria Kopke died several days after the crash and ensuing fall. The unlikelihood of Kopke's survival has been the subject of much speculation. It is known that she was seat-belted into her seat and thus somewhat shielded and cushioned, but it has also been theorized that the outer pair of seats, those on each side of Kopke, which came attached to hers as part of a row of three, functioned like a parachute and slowed her fall. The impact may also have been lessened by thunderstorm updraft and the landing site's very thick foliage. Her experience was widely reported and it is the subject of one feature-length fictional film and one documentary. The first was a low-budget, heavy-fictionalized I, Miracoli, Occidano Ancora, 1974, by Italian filmmaker Giuseppe Maria Scotizi. It was released in English as Miracles Still Happen in 75, and is sometimes called the story of Julianne Kopke. Twenty-five years later, director Werner Herzog revisited the story in his film Wings of Hope, which came out in 2000. Herzog was inspired to make the film as he narrowly avoided taking the same flight while he was location scouting for Aguirre, Wrath of God. His reservation was canceled due to a last-minute change in his itinerary. Kopke moved to Germany, where she fully recovered from her injuries. Like her parents, she studied biology at the University of Kiel, graduated in 1980. She received a doctorate from Ludwig Maximilian University and returned to Peru to conduct research in mammalogy, specializing in bats. Now known as Julianne Diller, she serves as librarian at the Bavarian State Zoological Collection in Munich. Her autobiography, When I Fell from the Sky, was released on 10th of March 2011 by Piper Verlag, for which she received the Corinne Literature Prize in 2011. Be sure to go to Amazon and get her book titled When I Fell from the Sky to get the whole story. We hope you enjoyed that episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries. Join us at our website at 1001storiespodcast.com for more episodes or at facebook.com slash 1001heroes for episodes and lively conversation. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. 